What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippo is here. I'm Bob Wankel. And Anthony Philly split a quick two-game setup in Toronto with the Blue Jays. We talked on Monday. We said if if you go into the series and you can get a split, you'll take it. Um, you know, it's 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 funny when you say these things ahead of time, and when you look at it, and it's forward thinking, and you're a little bit rational. You kind of say, "All right, that that's cool." Like Toronto's a, a good team. The Phillies don't play well up there. A, a split feels like a win, sort of. But then you watch it play out, and and the way that they kind of gave away the first game, credit to them for rebounding, but it kind of, again, to me, is a continuation of a pattern that we've been talking about a lot lately, which is this team is sort of just missing opportunities to truly gain that separation. Like, the the NL wildcard race has not come, you know, it hasn't gotten away from them. Like, they're not coming back to earth. They're maintaining that three, three-and-a-half game lead, and, and that's great because as the season shortens, obviously the greater the likelihood that you secure one of those playoff spots. Like they're not in a position where they have to gain ground. They just can't lose it. But man, it feels like they've had some opportunities to really distance themselves here and finally get to that place they haven't been, which is holding a five, six, seven game lead. Like when was the last time the Phillies had a six, seven game lead on, on a playoff spot in any season. I mean, it has to be going back to what, 2011? Like, it, it's not been comfortable at any point here. No, you're, you're right, Bob. And, and that's, the, that's the one thing. Like, if, if I sit here and say, as it's, you know, we're recording on August 18th, and there's six weeks left in the season. If, if there was one thing that you sat there and said, what concerns you? It concerns me that they haven't separated themselves. Like, there's still no doubt in my mind, and I think that there's probably no doubt in yours that this is this team's going to be in the playoffs. I'm, I'm pretty still very, very, very confident that that's going to be the case. But it certainly would be nice to be comfortably into the playoffs, right? I mean, you have that three and a half game lead, and that's and that's great. And you have three games against a Nationals team who we're going to talk about is actually playing some pretty good baseball lately. So this is not as much of a gimme series as, as maybe Washington series of old have been. Um, but then you got the Giants who, again, they've been struggling as well. But, you know, you could by next week this time either have completely separated yourself or we're sitting here going, uh-oh, it's a race. Yeah. And – and and you really got to take advantage of these. And and the fact of the matter is, is they could have been kind of in that place already, um, if they would just not blow opportunities like they have in the last couple of weeks. A game against the Royals, a game against the Nationals, the game against Toronto on on uh, uh, Tuesday night. Um, like if you win those games where you should win, or you had a real good chance of winning then these games aren't as important here. It's like, okay, yeah, you win two out of three, that's fine. That's all you really need to do. You don't need just don't get swept. You know, that's what we're talking about. Like, and you're fine. Everything's okay. But now you get into a situation where it's like, well, man, you really have to do well in these series. Otherwise you're going to put yourself in a bind. And and so yeah, that's the one thing that I I think that the Phillies have missed some chances and you go, why? Why why did you let that happen? Why are you putting yourself into a tougher situation than you really need to be in yeah, and relative to the rest of the league the Phillies continue to play well you know they haven't run away they haven't ripped off another one of those June like stretches lately but 
you go back to the homestand, six and four. Like it, it's not great. We wanted seven and three, eight and two, but it's not like they put together a three and seven homestand. Like they're still playing pretty consistent baseball. And and every team has these these games that get away from them. Every team can look at their their recent 10, 15, 20 game run and say, oh, you know, if we if we would have closed the door on that one, if we would have given our pitcher a little run support, if we would have made that play in left field, um, there's there are a lot of different teams that are saying these exact same things to themselves right now. But I think for this Phillies team, maybe if there is something that's troubling, it's that the issues they're having are recurring issues. It's not oh this is new or oh uh, this guy is slumping all of a sudden or oh. You know, this is a problem we didn't previously consider, and now here it is in front of us. And and I guess in a way that might be a good thing, but I, I think it's somewhat problematic. And it goes back to what you wrote about after their win on Wednesday night, which is, yeah, good win for the Phillies. Certainly the Blue Jays' defense helped them out in that game, and then they kind of took off late. But nobody really wants to talk about the fact that the Phillies got a series split, had a nice rebound win. Bryce Harper hits two home runs. Like we can talk about all of these things because they are important, but everyone wants to talk about what's going on in left field with Kyle Schwarber. And certainly everybody wants to talk about the continued struggles of Aaron Nola. And I guess, you know, you, you obviously uh, wrote about this. You went into a, a great amount of detail and, and a great amount of uh, length with this, but I guess the way I would ask you this question, like rather than just sit here and rehash the struggles because we know what they are, the left fielder can't catch. He's hitting a buck 80. Like Aaron Nola hasn't been good for a month and a half now. We know the deal here. Do you think it's fair that fans are are so fixated on these two players in particular? Like, do you think that the frustration and the concern is is warranted? And is it fair? Um, is the concern warranted? Yes. Is it fair to pick on these two guys and these two guys alone? No, I think that that's I think that's the the way to look at it. Um, there are absolutely criticisms that are deserved for both Kyle Schwarber and Aaron Nola. Neither one have performed up to the level of expectation for this season for this team. Um, that being said, they've at least done enough to get the Phillies to where they are now to contribute to the Phillies being 11 games over 500 and the top wild card team. They've done enough. It, it's not, you're not happy about it, but it's like, okay, you know, well, if they were doing what they were theoretically supposed to do, like Kyle Schwarber is not a 300 hitter, right? No, but if Kyle Schwarber was hitting 210 right now and his on base percentage We've talked about, hey, he's drawn a lot of walks. His on-base percentage is still pretty good. It's one of the better ones on the team recently, all that stuff. But, like, overall, his on-base percentage isn't exactly electric. It's not like, oh, no. my goodness, this guy no, is exactly. this guy's an, an incredible table setter. So if if he were 30 points better, 20, 30 points better, and Aaron Nola, mm-hmm. I mean. Is, if his ERA was about a half a run, even just yeah, a half a run less. Four. Right, you know, it's it was a four and a half. Yeah. If it now, was are we talking about that team right now that is six, seven games ahead of the the rest of this I mean, wild card you're race? You're probably you're probably talking an extra couple wins. Yeah. I mean, you know, each individual player is not worth that many wins, right? So, but you're probably looking at an extra couple wins. Can, can I think, I, you know, obviously, can, pitchers are worth a little bit more than than hitters as far as you know determining wins and losses, but. Yeah, I mean, they're probably, instead of 66 and 55, they probably have 68 
wins right now or 69 wins right now. I, I want to talk about Schwarber first because I almost feel like the city is united in their their disgust with with Aaron Nola. And mm-hmm. and like is that fair? Probably not, but let's get to that in a moment. I think this is the realization that I've I've come to lately with Kyle Schwarber. There seems to be a lot of people, and I don't know if you get this on Twitter as well, but you know, when Kyle Schwarber heats up, he puts together some five, six game stretch, it's like tweet worthy. He does something where you're like, you know, Kyle Schwarber's last 15 at bats is OPS is 1400, right? Like, and people go, Oh, here we go. Like always, always highlighting the positive with Kyle Schwarber. He can do no wrong, media darling. And there seems to be like some backlash, like uh, uh, towards writers and towards the people covering this team that we sort of protect Kyle Schwarber. That if if anything, he really should be at the front of the line in terms of, of guys taking shots right now. And yet we sort of guard him. And I kind of want to explore that first. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, the way that I see it, certainly he leads the National League in home runs last season. He probably is going to finish with anywhere between 37 to 43 home runs this year, you know, depending if he can get really hot in September, that, that might be a little bit of a stretch, but I don't think it's unrealistic to say he could hit 40 home runs again. Certainly he's, on, not, he's still pacing for it, right? Yeah. Still, I think it's 40 and 99 right now. Is okay. And so he's yeah. not going to hit 200. We know that like that's, that's not going to happen. His defense is, is abysmal. But when I look at him, I, I don't think that they make the playoffs last year with, without him. Like, I, I think that he was a stabilizing force in a locker room that did not know how to win, that did not know how to rise to the moment, panicked down the stretch. We've seen that for a number of years. Um, I think that there was something wrong with that clubhouse in terms of, like, really knowing how to seize the moment. And whether or not that's fair, I know it's a little bit of a subjective criticism, but I think that there's something to it. And I think that Kyle Schwarber, when things started to crumble a little bit last September – and all the fans said, here we go, same old Phillies. It was Kyle Schwarber's presence, I believe, that stabilized that thing and kind of got them over that hump, allowed them to relax, and then allowed that team to also understand once they reached the postseason, hey, we're not just here, but now that we're here, we can do some fucking damage. And, and that's the way I see it. And I still look at the OPS, and I look at some of the on-base skills, and this team has no power. He supplies that. Like, in my mind, I can still make a – like, it blows me away that people think that he should be out of the lineup entirely. You yeah, don't want to hit him leadoff, that's fine. But to say that this guy shouldn't be on the field or, or shouldn't be in the batter's box at least, I, I find that to be to be quite strange. Now, the only other thing I will say on this is that I also do understand it to an extent from the fan viewpoint because I don't know that they quite look at the intangibles of things maybe the way that you, you do when you're a little bit closer to it. And I will also say this. To, to not protect him, he's been a dreadful athlete this year. Like, he's he's been a bad baseball player. He doesn't hit for average. He strikes out way too much. Like, to strike out as much as he does, he should probably be hitting 50 home runs. Like, he, he gives away series. Like, not at bats or games, but series where you're just like, oh, he was 0 for 12 with six strikeouts, but he had two walks. It's hard to live with a baseball player who can be so bad for a prolonged stretch, but then be so good for a prolonged stretch. And I think when you see a professional baseball player not be able to to catch a fly ball um, in routine spots multiple times throughout the course of a season or a line drive or whatever you want to call it, I get why fans are upset because they're going, hey, that's that's little league shit. So 
I kick it to you and, and kind of give me your overall assessment of Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, um, I, I think that you, you nailed a lot right on the head with this. So, first of all, um, Kyle Schwarber does two things well in 2023. He hits home runs and he walks. He does nothing else well in 2023. And, and that's just who he is this year. Uh, now, does that portend for a good future? Maybe not. The fact that he's been really unathletic, like you pointed out, that he can't even catch a simple fly ball. I mean, at least last year, I mean, he would make mistakes in left field, but it wasn't to the degree that they've been this year, right? Um, so does that portend for a good future for him? It may not. It may be that this is it for Schwarber. Like, this is kind of what he's what's left. And if he runs into a good pitch and can drive it out of the park, great. If he can rely on his great eye and get on base walking, that's good too, but that's it. I mean, this should have been a season with them changing the shift rules that Kyle Schwarber should have at least been able to bump his batting average a little bit. Not a lot, but he should have been in that 220 range, right, ultimately with with the opening up on the left side. I'm sorry, the right side um, for him as a left-handed hitter, and he didn't. He went backwards, and so that's that's a major concern. Um, do I think we, we are, he's a media darling. I, I don't, I don't get that feel like, I mean, yes. Is he a guy that we feel comfortable talking to in the, in the locker room win or loss because we know he's going to give us a good thoughtful answer. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think we go, Oh, that Kyle Schwarber. He's such a, such a good guy. You know, we're not going to criticize. I, I agree him. with that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, we, we, he deserves criticism and he gets the criticism that, that he deserves. What I think that we 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 lose sight of sometimes in this city, and we've said this before on the show, so I don't want to rehash it, but we lose sight of the fact that baseball, unlike the other sports, is not one that you can really hammer guys from game to game. It's a it's one that you gotta take more of a totality kind of a perspective on things. That's why when we look at it, we look at things in, in terms of months, right? I mean, yeah, that how, what was that month like for that guy? You know, uh, July, Nick Castellanos was freaking terrible in July, but bound has bounced back now so far in August, but he's still got a couple weeks left to see what ultimately what his August is. So like we look at it in, in, in bigger picture stuff with these players. And I think fans want to criticize in the moment a little bit more. And that's that's typical Philadelphia. That's not a big surprise. So I think that that's why we get the sense of oh, we're being too light on Schwarber when we're really not. The, I think that the 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 other thing is Bob is this is a very traditional sports market, right? So in that sense, our fans look at baseball lineups and say, there's no way a 180 hitter or a, or a power hitter who can't run should be leading off in the sport because traditionally you didn't have that right? right traditionally that's not what a leadoff hitter was but if you look around baseball today look at who's leading off games for teams and yeah some of them have the ability to steal bases and have higher batting averages of course you know your ronald acuna's of the world and and um, um you know mookie Betts, but they also hit for power they're going to be 40 home run guys at minimum, all the every good team in baseball, at minimum, has a guy leading off in their game who are going to hit 25 home runs this year, at least. And so when you look at the Phillies, other than a guy like Bryce Harper, 
who's not going to hit 25 home runs because he got such a late start on the power this year because of the elbow issue issue other than Bryce Harper who else on this team fits that mold to be a 2023 leadoff hitter there is no one else there just isn't I mean we could sit here and like I broke down all those numbers and that's and we could go through that but the reality of it is is that in baseball in 2023 your one and two hitters have to have slug if you want to be a good team the Phillies only slug guy is Kyle Schwarber so that's why he's there is he perfect is he ideal no but he fits for what the Phillies are and so that's why so I think that's another reason why fans get so bent out of shape about Kyle Schwarber is because of where he's batting if he was batting fifth sixth seventh nobody would care that he's hitting 180. Yeah, I, I have. And, and the thing is, when you look at Kyle Schwarber's like career numbers and look at his splits throughout his career, I mean, he's, he hits 233 against righties. He's hitting 204 against lefties. He's never been a high batting average guy. He's not a guy that you expect to hit 300, push 280, 270 even. This year, though, it, it does come down to a, a little bit of a different level. I mean, he's hitting 184 against left-handed pitching this season. He's hitting 177 against against righties and like this is something that beyond this season I think he's going to have to figure out like I would tell you that for this team right now I don't even know by by saying it works if, if I even really feel that way but I almost feel like to a degree like it is out of necessity it they don't really have a better alternative like I don't see a world where we can just say oh well this is what Kyle is he can come back next season and hit 179 as long as he hits his 37 home runs. Like, I actually don't think that's an acceptable use of a, of a roster spot and baseball player. Like, now I know they, they have him for another two years. I know what the contract is, but like, there has to be improvement on his end. Like, this is this type of trajectory is, sure. is not good. And I think when you talk about the way people view him, it is a lot about the lineup slot, but I also think it's about the the inability to play the game. And I, I guess this sounds like super critical, but what I mean by that is like this city is traditional. They, they want to see guys be moved over. Like they want to see productive outs and for the lack of a better term, small ball. And like, he doesn't often do that. Like he does not move a runner from second base with nobody out with a ground ball to the right side. Like that's not his game. And then when you pair that up with the defensive limitations, which, as you said, last year it was more about range, not getting the balls that you would like your left fielder to get to. This year it's about the actual execution of the catch, which is an entirely different set of, of problems and, frankly, much more embarrassing and frustrating to watch. So I think when you compare or when you pair all of those different things up, you do look at this player and say, like, great, yeah, he hits home runs and walks. That's awesome. Like, I think for a lot of people, it's hard for them to get over that, you know, and I do think that the leadership quality is still there. I do think that he's important in that clubhouse. And ultimately, I do think that he's one of the few guys on this team that can give you that two week stretch. Like you talk about getting to October and what can happen in October. Listen, if the Phillies are going to make a run, they're going to need special performances out of their better players. And does he have a series or two in him where he can hit six, seven home runs? and and get them past a team that's probably better than they are yeah like i think that that still exists and so you have to i think you have to ride that potential out mm -hmm. and one other thing that I, you said that that is interesting to me you know i watched some of the eagles preseason game last night i don't know why but you talked about how 
when you're covering baseball, you, you can't be totally overreactionary, right? Like you can't freak out about every bad stretch, every bad game. And certainly like I'll text you and I'll, I'll have like a take, you know, or I'll say something that's like a little bit critical of someone, but there is a, a difference. Like as a fan, you can be really frustrated in that moment, but when you cover, and I, this is the thing I don't think people necessarily understand. And I'm not here to, to dish out media lectures, but if, if you have, access, if you have credentials and you're trying to cover a team fairly, first of all, you should know better. Like if a player, a good player with an established track record goes through a a tough stretch, you can reasonably expect at some point they're going to get out of it or they're going to have a moment where they do deliver. So as a writer, what, what do you do? Do you say, well, this guy sucks in July. Holy shit. They should think about benching him. Man, he blows. And then, and then three weeks later, the guy goes on a run where he carries the team for 14 games. Like, mm-hmm. it makes you look like a clown if you react in the moment to every single thing you see. Like, don't get me wrong. Somebody, as somebody that covers or used to cover the Phillies on a more consistent basis, I do it periodically now, I, I get frustrated with certain things. I say, what the hell was that? What are we doing? You got to do better here. But you can't tweet out every single thought that you have and rip apart every single player and then expect to be treated like a professional in the workplace when you go down there. Mm -hmm. You know, it just isn't how it works. So when fans go like, oh, you're protecting Kyle Schwarber. No, no, I'm not. Like, yeah, when when he dropped that line drive late in the game on Tuesday night, I said, what the fuck was that? You got to catch that ball. Like, I know that. But what are you going to do? Hop online and destroy the guy? Come on, man. Yeah. You know, and listen, there's different variables. Like how long does it go on for? What type of person is the player? Like, I'm not going to lie. There is a human element to this, but it's funny. You said what you said, because I'm watching this Eagles game last night and Trey Sermon, who's like the fourth or fifth string running back. I mean, he was a big time college player. Right. And there's some people that think that he could be a useful NFL running back. Maybe even crack this Eagles roster. He fumbles. And, you know, there's like reporters like he's cut, he's gone. (laughs) Trey Sermon's not making this team. And I'm like, damn, like it is a different mentality in football. Like there is less of a sample. And you, you probably like the in the moment take probably holds more weight than it does across 162 games in a baseball season. Yeah. To be clear, I'm not criticizing necessarily those writers for, for tweeting those things. Like I think Kemsky actually like the moment the ball hit the ground was like Trey Sermon's cut. Like I get it. He's probably right too. Uh, but like, man, like, you know, you give up a home run in, in, in game one where you give up a home run in spring training and you're tweeting that a guy's cut. Like it just doesn't work. It doesn't translate to baseball coverage. It just doesn't. Yeah. It's a, it's a different animal baseball. And, and, and uh, you know, we don't uh, in, look. Today's society is very in the moment, right? Everything's in the present. It, it, there is no. It's it's the whole "what have you done for me now" mentality of of sports. It's just the way it is. We're, we don't have the intention span that we used to have back in in the uh, you know back in the day, as, as we as us old heads say. Uh, but the but the fact of the matter is is that that's just how we we are that way with everything. We're that way with the NBA. We're that way with the NHL. We're that way with the NFL. And and now we're it, it's pervasive into baseball too. Um, 
you know, and I've made the argument, Bob, and we've talked about it. I think, you know, that there's a little bit of the gambling element kind of comes into play a little bit sometimes. I, I agree. And I think people are, are betting on their home team. They're betting with their heart and not with their head. And they you get wrecked more, my parlay. You know? Yeah. And yeah. You, they're getting more upset about things maybe now than they ever did before. But you're right. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. And, and it's interesting because this is the one sport where guys can have we had i had we, you and i had this text conversation these guys guys like schwarber and nola they can have shitty seasons and be terrible for the year right come october like you said kyle schwarber can go on a uh, you know a seven day run where he's just tearing the cover off the ball and win a series aaron nola could have three or four starts in a row where he pitches like the guy that we expect him to be and all of a sudden that wins you three or four playoff games and holy hell where did that come from it happens in baseball more than any other sport where that just it's the ebb and the flow of the sport where the where a guy can have a bad year but you're still relying on him because he's one of your guys and yes he comes through when it matters the most i'm not saying that's what's going to happen these guys can continue to struggle into october and could end up costing the phillies a playoff game or two certainly could happen but the reality is is that the way that the game is they could just as easily flip that script i think reese hoskins was a great example of that last year yeah. it was a guy that he was was beat up on by this city from beginning of the season to the end of the season can't wait to get him out of there want him out of the lineup he's terrible and then he goes into that atlanta series and is just a monster against the braves and it's like he became a hometown hero yeah because of a because he got hot for two weeks right I mean, that's just that's the example right off the top. So, yeah, I mean, there are concerns with both these players. And we're going to get into Nola here in a second. But the reality of it is, is that they are they have a track record and the talent to do well over at least a short period of time that you've got to at least count on them to still be able to be in those moments. And if they deliver, that's that's the bonus for you. If they don't. okay, they don't. It's part of that bad year. So in an effort to acknowledge just how bad Aaron Nola has been here recently, I'll, I'll throw out some numbers just so that we can all, you know, if you're listening to this, you're probably frustrated with Aaron Nola and, and want to hear someone pound on him a little bit. So here we go. Uh, three August starts. He has a 5.87 ERA in six second half starts post All-Star break. He has a 5.24 ERA. His whip is actually up to 1.311. Hitters are, uh, I believe, batting 266 against him in the second half. And I point out some of these numbers because previously we had said, listen, you know, the results aren't necessarily there. Yes, he does give up a lot of hits with two strikes. Uh, Yes, certainly the home runs have been a massive problem, but when you look at a lot of Aaron Nola's other numbers, you see like, wow, like the batting average against is still elite. Uh, the whip is still elite. The strikeout to walk ratio is still really good. There are a lot of different numbers that suggest that Aaron Nola is still among the National League's 10 to 15 best starting pitchers. The problem is now recently against some pretty average to below average offense, uh, offenses, he those numbers are starting to deteriorate now. And you look at the velocity and you see four-seam fastball, 91 miles an hour, and you go, oh, my God, you know, like there are a lot of issues here now. And so he has not been good. Um, forget the contract. Forget about 2024. Like that's not even the conversation. Like what – I guess I guess the two questions right now are what is, what is going on and and – 
what do you do about it? While also acknowledging that, yes, there are six, seven weeks left and a lot can happen. But right now, I mean, this is not good. No, it's not good. And and he's had probably his worst season of his nine-year career. Um, and you could see that it's it's frustrating the hell out of him out there on the field. Like, you could just tell, like, he's throwing pitches and he's, you know, getting giving up a hit or giving up a home run in a spot that he shouldn't give it up. And, and, and he's just – He's not finding the answers. One of the things that I think is is really evident about what's wrong with Aaron Nola is guys who used to get out are just dragging on their at-bats against him. He's throwing way too many pitches early in the game. Um, you know, Aaron Nola can throw you 105, 110 pitches a game, and it used to get him through seven innings, and now it's, he's having a hard time getting through five. And he's still getting swing and miss. I think I put a, one of those tweets in in my story that showed the other night, even um, as bad as an outing as it was for him, he still had more swings and misses than any pitcher who pitched on Wednesday night. And that included a guy like Clayton Kershaw who pitched in, on Wednesday night. He, Nola had 17 swings and misses in that game. I think it was, right? So that's a lot, right? But at the same time, he's not putting guys away. And it's because his pitches just aren't sharp enough right now. The curveball is probably still his best pitch but even the curveball isn't as sharp as it's been it doesn't break as much as it usually breaks and guys are able to get a piece of it you know and and, and foul it off and, and live to see another day and you're, you're right the velocity's down on his fastball his strikeout totals are down um for the year and his walk rate is going up now it's not like it's at an alarming rate, it's actually kind of on par with his career. But in the last couple seasons, he had been able to get his walk rate down below two per nine innings, and now he's back up at two and a half, two point six, which is you know kind of what his career average is. Um, and so, when you're not striking out as many guys, and you're walking more guys than you, you than you did in the last couple of years, you're certainly putting more batters, more runners on base, and you're giving up more contact. And if you're giving up more contact, you're likely going to give up more hits especially if your defense behind you is not the greatest. And it's creating a situation where he's got runners on base and then he gives up the long ball, which is, which is you know, that's the biggest problem of them all. He's given up 27 home runs. Even if he's only, even if he had only given up, say, 20 at this point, what's his ERA this year? It's probably below four, right? It's probably high threes if he's given up 20 home runs instead of 27. Um, so I think that that's, that's what it really comes down to, Bob, is that he – his stuff is just not where it needs to be. And it's not like it's this is the this is what makes baseball so so frustrating for pitchers sometimes. You don't have to be that far off to be the difference between being really good and being this. Right? I mean, he's just a little off and it's killed him. It's absolutely killed him this year. And I know that that's that's eating him up. I talked to the guy with a somewhat regular on a somewhat regular basis. And I know that that's what's eating him up this year. And it's just a matter of not being able to find that little extra that he had in previous seasons. And who knows if he will ever be able to find it again. This might be the end, right? I mean, or he finds it again and he's back to Aranola. Or he's somewhere in the middle. We don't know. Like, you can't predict the future. But I do know that that's what he's going through this season. And he can't, he just can't find it at the moment. Yeah, it's funny when you really dive into the advanced splits here and you start looking at like, well, 
situationally, where are the struggles at? Because we know what all of the, the major talking points are. But when you even go through his, like, by count splits, you know, batters this season, like, you, if, if I told you that on first pitches this season, uh, opposing hitters are, are batting 389 against him with a 1.111 OPS, would you be stunned by that? Like, that's not good. That's it's actually it's it's terrible, but like okay, you know he's he's trying to establish something. Guys are trying to be aggressive against him early. They're having some success. Like I don't think that's like crazy to think that that's possible. But where I look at this by count and I go, how is this possible? Is when he is in an 0-1 count, so he establishes that first strike. Posing hitters, 359, slugging 642 against him. Like I mean. That that is that, to me that is crazy. Like you are supposed to be one of the game's best pitchers. You're ahead in the count, and and you're doing that. You're you're giving up and you're allowing that type of damage. Like it's just things like that. And you know we talked about Schwarber and not playing the game. You know not being able to play the game the way the, the fans here want you to play the game. I think that there's one extra annoying twist. And it's not the contract. I mean, it is the contract. But the other twist on this is the inability for Aaron Nola to provide a shutdown inning. Like, the Phillies tie a game. They get some momentum. He gives it right back. The Phillies get a lead. He gives it right back. I saw someone pull it, and I wish I would have I wish I would have flagged it the other night. Someone pulled it. I think it was like Bill Bear, if you remember him. Mm-hmm. Um like he did a thing by game on Aaron Nola and shut down innings. And I think his like shutdown inning rate is only like 64%, like, which is terrible. Like literally 35% of the time that you get a, you get a, a boost from your team. You, you can't hold it down that following inning. Like that's, that's no good. And I think that situationally, it's very frustrating to watch this play out with him. You know, if it were, Taiwan Walker having this season or Christopher Sanchez or, you know, even Ranger Suarez, who, who has been up and down himself. I think you'd say like, uh, all right, but this is supposed to be a dude. Like this is supposed to be an elite guy in a really important season for this team. And like these questions about, do you hand them the baseball in a playoff series? Like, though, I think they will. And I said it as recently as Monday, like he's, he's probably going to start the second game. I would still bet on that. I can't, I can't like laugh at a fan for asking that anymore. Well, I, I don't think that that's a preposterous conversation. WIP put a poll out if they would even put him in the playoff rotation. Period. Not even game two, but period. And the fans were fifty fifty, but I think it was like fifty one forty nine against against starting him in the play. So of course they're going to think that, right? Of course they're going to think it. Um, but the reality is, and it's and and this is more of an indictment, I think, of the t- of the other players, and it is about the fact that you sit there and go, "Well, he's one of the guys. He's a dude. We got to get him in the lot in the rotation." If you take him out, who are you putting in place of him? And justify it for me, because I'm I I you can't you can't you really just- role playing. All right, so I got Zach Wheeler. He's the yeah. best pitcher in the staff, so he's game one. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to just tell you, I can't really do this, but I'm going to tell you the way that people are thinking about this right now. Uh, hey, Michael Lorenz in two starts with the Phils, just yeah. for no hitter. He might have another good game tonight. We'll see, right? Like, yeah. this is a guy, He's he's been around. He seems to be kind of cool and calm under pressure. I'm in. I want Michael Lorenz in starting a postseason game for me. Okay. 
Do we want to talk about that? Because I I don't disagree. Okay. I I think Michael Lorenzen is starting a playoff game. Michael Lorenzen could could work himself into this, and not just because oh my god he just threw a no hitter and he's the game before they threw eight innings one run like it's not just that it's it's that you know he's been good all year for Detroit. As a matter of fact, if you now that he's in the National League, if you included his starts in the AL, he would lead the National League in WHIP. Yeah. I mean, he, I actually think he is going to start a playoff game. Okay. So, like, I have no – And like, it's – and it's well, it's possible, but here's the one concern, I know, Bob. I, I know, yeah, I know. I, well, I mean, it's a legitimate concern. Sir Anthony Dominguez has been terrible, right? I mean, yeah. really not been good. And you really don't have another right-handed arm in the pen other than Craig Kimbrell that you're going to – in the playoffs where you're going to go, I rely on that guy late in a, late in a playoff game. Yeah. And, and look, you're, you're counting at this point. You're counting on – Jose Alvarado to come back and be Jose Alvarado. And if he is, that's good too, but he's a lefty. You know, Soto's been not great either. I mean, he's been better than I think than Dominguez, even though the numbers may say the other way, I think, but you watch them pitch. I, I have more confidence in, in Soto coming into a game than I do Dominguez at this point coming into a game, but you really need another setup arm. And I think that, you know, when you look at, what you have in the pen left-handed with Alvarado, Strom, and 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 Soto, I think that you're more likely to want to to feel like you want to put Lorenzen back there because you need another right-handed arm than you would Suarez as a fourth lefty, right? right. So that's the only thing. I, I, I don't discount the fact that Michael Lorenzen's been a very good starting pitcher this year and probably deserves to start a playoff game or more than one playoff game for that matter. But if you're trying to say what's the best thing for this team, it might be Michael Lorenzen's available out of the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, the Dominguez thing was something I wanted to get to, and it's an entirely separate issue, but the command for me, it's not that the numbers, it's not that he's giving up a ton of runs and the ERA is crazy or anything like that. Like, second half, I mean, he has a 3.86 ERA. In nine games, he's allowed three earned runs, you know? So it's, it's not – it's not that it's not about like the run prevention element of it. It's that his command is just, it's not there. He's pulling right. everything. It's, it's a mess. And if they don't rectify that issue, if that's something that we don't feel better about in the next six weeks, I do think that you have to consider what you just talked about. Now there's, there's two different points to this. I don't think even though Taiwan Walker is, is won a lot of games, he's, kept the Phillies competitive. I don't think that most fans, if they're being truthful, would rather see Taiwan Walker start a, a postseason game over Aaron Nola. Like, and I don't think that they want to see Christopher Sanchez either. Like, I think that most fans, there's some crazies out there, but I think most people would say, yeah, like, I get it. But the, the one part of this where I think you might, you might see some otherwise reasonable folks say, hey, you know what, like, let's go Wheeler. Let's go Lorenzen. Let's go Suarez in a three-game series. Like, I don't trust Aaron Nola in a three-game series. And if they can they can get by the first round and you need to go four deep, then you can slot in Nola two, three, four, wherever you want to, wherever it makes most sense for you. However your rotation lines up, go for it. But in a three-game series, I just don't trust the guy right now. I can't take one of my shots with Aaron Nola when I have three guys that I can make a case for. And I think you could. Like, I think you can make the case for – certainly Wheeler, you could probably make a case for Lorenzen. And if I wanted to make the case for Suarez, though I would go Nola over Suarez, I would say, you know, 
he's calm under pressure. The whole like slow heartbeat. We saw how effective he was in big spots in the postseason last year. We know how Nola's postseason ended last year. I know he was very good at the beginning of it. But like I could work myself if I'm like just out for Aaron Nola right now. I I can get myself to a place where I'd say like let's go Wheeler, Lorenzen, Suarez. I I wouldn't. Right now, I wouldn't. But you know what? Six more weeks of this, maybe like I too will be that guy and be like, you know what? I just can't do it anymore. And, and well, the other question is, if if you're not starting Aaron Nola, what are you doing not, with him? He's not, is you putting him in the bullpen? Yeah. Like, I mean, you might as well never. Even, you might as well not never, even roster him at that point. Right, because he's never he's never not he's never pitched in relief. Right. Like you're going to ask a guy to suddenly say, okay, you've had a bad year. We're going to take you out of the rotation. Now go do something you've never done before, and we're going to ask you to perform in a postseason. Yeah, and does he seem like a you know? Does he seem like a real malleable guy? Does he seem like he would no. be? No. I mean, Not the, the fucking pitch clock thing is real with him, right? Like, it has yeah. had a profound impact on him five months later. And I'm not trying to excuse away all of his bad performances by just saying, oh, it's the pitch clock. But, like, we know how much he has struggled with that. He's been very open about it. Yeah. So, like, now we're going to put him in a, a different context, in a different situation, which he has no familiarity with, and expect him to thrive at the when all eyes are on him in the highest possible pressure situation? No way. Yeah. And, and along those same lines, like, we've talked about this before, too, but what's Taiwan Walker's biggest issue right now? Oh, he's not good in the first inning that he's out there. His velocity's down. You want yeah. Taiwan Walker revving it up in the bullpen? Like, I actually don't know what his future is going to be come October. Like, I don't know how you use him right now. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, like if, either, if either of those guys were guys who could, you know, hit 97 on the gun, you could almost kind of convince yourself. Yeah. Well, we can make it work you know, with one of them out of the bullpen, but they don't, neither one of them are, neither one of them throw that hard. Noel is a, Noel is more of a, a pitcher than, and then he is a thrower. And <laughs> Here comes Aaron Nola with runners on first and second, which again, he's terrible with runners on base. Yeah. <laughs> and he's only going to throw down. 93, right? He's only yeah, going to throw 93. He's throwing 91. It's a little chilly out. So he's not, yeah. he's not all lathered up tonight. Uh, oh, 90, 90 on the corner. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying. So, like, I mean, what do you do? Are you just now not going to have Aaron Nola or, or Taiwan Walker, for that matter, on your postseason yeah, roster? So, yeah. What, uh, you, like, what are you doing? You, these are two of your higher-paid pitchers. Yeah, You're just not going to have your, Yeah, 40% <laughs> of your starting rotation that you're paying, what, a combined $35 million to this season? Yeah, you guys are just going to – Yeah, forget it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get to you down the road if we need you. Uh, the, the, on a positive note, I guess we see Bryce Harper the other night on Wednesday night, hit two home yeah. runs in the same game for first time this season. Um, is he back? Like, I, I guess really the question is, is it reasonable to think that perhaps he is, is turning a corner? I'm not saying that he's going to finish the season with 25 home runs all of a sudden, but like, do we think that it's possible that in the next six, seven weeks you get to October, Bryce Harper can be Bryce Harper? Yeah, I do. I do. And, and it's not just because of a two home run game, Bob. I mean, if you see, if you just like look at the way he's been hitting the ball in recent games, and I, when I say recent games, I'm not just talking this past week. I'm talking this month, maybe even a little bit towards the end of July, right? I mean, I think that there was, there's been a change in, in how hard his con, like how, how he's like really just making the contact that, that you want to see. Um, right. And that's what now, I think that's, Four homers since August fifth, so four homers in the last eight games, nine games, whatever it is. Um, and I, I think it's you know, 
and since he since he got off that two month schneid, so it's what six homers since the All Star break. So that's twenty five games. So it's just you're just starting to see it. You know, it's ramping up. It's getting there. It's getting there. Like you said, he's not going to hit twenty five home runs now just because he's got nine. He's not going to hit fourteen in the last forty one games. Um, but will he hit you know another seven or eight? Yeah, probably. And and that's good. And then you then you start to say, okay, now we're now we're on the pace of of Harper hitting home runs, you know, one every ten at bats or whatever it is, right? And and that's that's kind of where you want to be. And I think that that's that's kind of a that's a good sign for the Phillies. And you know, the fact that he's still hitting two ninety, he's still getting on base really well, he's still working his walks. Um, and now you add that element into it too. I think you're you're starting to get the Bryce Harper that you want batting third in your lineup every game, and he's going to be a guy for you when the games matter the most. He even said it after the game the other night. He's like, August and September is fun. He says, but I live for October. And, you know, we saw that last year, and I think that he's kind of getting himself into that mode, gearing into that mode. Uh, for for this for the rest of this season, so I think that's a big positive for the Phillies. I want to ask you one one quick question, and I want to look ahead to this national series because um, they're they're kind of an interesting team. Suddenly, uh, <laughs> yeah, they are. Does the Phillies postseason experience of last year matter? Like, does because they didn't have it last year, and it didn't matter. They they did what they did, like. Are we are we setting ourselves up to be fooled here by this team because they had the run last year? Do you think I think there's a lot of different layers to this. Like do they think as a team, well, red October, you know, just get us to the bank and when the air turns crisp and we'll go on our run. Like every year's different. You got to play the games. We've seen teams that have won it one year, not win it the next year, teams that have come up short one year, win it the next year. You know, like what do you make of the 22 Phillies? Because for so long, I've said, like, every year is different. Like, what happened last year does not equate to this season. But, like, you hear Harper say something along the lines of, you know, I live for October. We know what this can be like. We know what we have in this clubhouse. We proved it to ourselves last year. So how much of that is a difference maker for this team? Well, I think it's. I think it, it matters on one level, and then the level that it matters on is the fact that they didn't win, and so they know what it takes. It, 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 they know what it takes to get there. They know how hard it is to get there, and they know, you know, how they how how to deal with that stage. So I think that that does matter. I think that does make a difference. It doesn't necessarily equate to well guarantees that they're going to be successful again. Yeah. Um, because I do think, and I do think we get a little bit too caught up in, oh well, we did this last year, so we can do it again. In a lot of ways, I point to 2011 um, as as the as the as the season where um, where where we kind of like you know. We had a, a great expectation, and they came up really, really short. And we say, "Well, geez, you know what? They won 102 games, like the best team that that this city's ever had." And oh my, how did they how did they fall so short in, in the first round against the Cardinals? But if you really go back and look at 2011, and while they had the great pitching, their their lineup was not very good that year. And um, yeah, I mean, a couple of the big guys were were really good that year. You know, I, um. 
you know, ha- Howard had a Howard type year, but not a gr- not like a Boffo year. He hit 33 homers on 116 RBIs. But other than that, like their their best offensive player that year was Victorino. Victorino, yeah. Was their best and they had to go out and get Hunter Pence. Like, I mean, they needed reinforcements. Yeah. You know, we think about that that team, that era of just like beating you over the head offensively. But by the time 2011 came around, you know, and and certainly a little revisionist history here, that was that sort of portended like what was what was to come. I mean, we yeah. saw what happened here. I mean, Jimmy Rollins had a down year. Utley was in, you know, he was injured for part of the year. He only played 103 games. Um, yeah, I mean, Abanez wasn't what they thought he was going to be when they got him. I mean, he was beloved, right? But he really didn't have that. He had a really kind of a down year. Uh, Polanco was a good was a good hitter, but he didn't have any slug whatsoever. Chooch had a really good year that year, right? But that but that was, I mean, like if your best offensive players are Shane Victorino and Chooch, yeah. <laughs> Like, what does that tell you? But we, but we had this great expectation because it was the greatest starting rotation that ever ever put together. Ruben Amar did that phenomenal job putting that team together. They won 102 games. Whatever. That was team that they were going to win their second World Series, and then they get, you know, they get gagged by the Cardinals in a five-game series because they couldn't hit. Yeah. Like, we could be facing that similar situation this year where it's like, whoa, we have this great belief in this, in this Phillies team because of what they did a year ago. But they're a little bit more flawed in places than we thought that they were, and we're kind of just glossing over it a little well, bit because we're gonna because we know they're gonna be there. So because we we both believe they're going to be there, like I, I think this is an interesting exercise on August eighteenth. Then, what is a, an acceptable outcome for this team? Because the twenty eleven Phillies were a hundred and two win team, as you said, they're playing an eighty three win Cardinals team. They yeah. had a series lead. They had a I believe a lead in. What was it? Game two. That was the Cliff Lee game, right? Where like, they kind of let. But then they even come back and they win game three. They have two opportunities to close it out. You know, one nothing, uh, the Holiday game, and, and nothing was ever the same again. Like we all know how that played out. And you looked at the win discrepancy between the two teams, and that was ridiculous. And the expectation made that loss even more ridiculous. But with this team, you know what what is unacceptable? Certainly, missing the playoffs would be unacceptable at this point. If they get into a series with either the Giants or the Cubs, um, you know, is that I, I think I think losing the wild card round, no matter who your opponent, would, no matter who the opponent is, would be unacceptable. And then if they line up with the Braves, which I guess that, is the the likely outcome here, and Atlanta beats them over the head because they're one of the best offenses of all time, like do we say okay, good season, boys? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that. You know, you'd be disappointed, but I think again, I think it depends on how the series goes too, right? If you if you lose this game, a series to the Braves, it's a five game series, and you're losing game five, and it's a close game. It's like, oh man, that's frustrating that they didn't get, they couldn't pull that one off. But you say you chalk it up to the fact that yeah, you lost to the Braves, man. Like, I mean, that was that's the best team in baseball. You probably accept it. But if you go and get swept by the Braves three nothing, and the games are not competitive, I think it's a disappointment, right? I mean, this is a team that's built to beat that Atlanta team, or, and to at least play with them, and be able to have a shot to beat that Atlanta team. So you want to you want to be competitive in that series. So yeah, I think that I think that you know what the outcome ends up being, depending on who they're playing. Now, if for some reason they fall to six, 
and you know they win that wild card round and then you're playing the Dodgers in the second round and you lose the, even though the Dodgers are playing great baseball right now they've won 11 in a row and they have two potential MVP candidates on their team um you beat a team like that last year the Cardinals had two potential MVP candidates on their right. team and, and you beat them um I, I would probably be a little bit more disappointed if they lost to the Dodgers in the second round I would think that that would be a letdown um, I think the losing to the Braves does not I, I don't consider much of a letdown, but I think that the anywhere else I think would be a letdown. I, I do think it will be easy in the moment if they lose these games. Like say they get to Atlanta and they're holding a five three lead in the eighth, and then you know Matt Olson hits a three run home. Like it's gonna be very easy to get annoyed and angry and bitter and frustrated about this team if they don't get to where they want to go. It's funny though. We've sort of accepted this reality this season because Atlanta got off to the start that they did. I think I detached myself from the Phillies being a division contender pretty early on, probably by mid May. Mm -hmm. I was like, there's just no chance. They're just not this team. I, I said this to you, I think back in the beginning of the year though, or maybe it was right around the time that I sort of had that detachment. They need to get to a point as an organization. And listen, they were in a World Series last year. They will very likely make the postseason this year. The season is not over. They might actually get back to a World Series. I don't know. But I would like to see them get to a place in the next couple of years. And I don't know if they will because the minor league system is still bottom, bottom third. And they have a bunch of aging contracts. And yes, they'll spend money, but they have to spend it correctly. Like They need to get to a place where they're not you know, aiming at 88 wins and, and, a, and a wild card spot 12 games behind the team that wins a division, you know, like they've, they've got to get to a place as an organization where they go into a, a, a spring training and say like divisions ours this year, we're winning this fucking thing. Well, I'll tell you the, the one thing about Atlanta is I think that they are, I think there is a vulnerability there with that team this year. And the more I watch them play and that offense, like you said, is, is, off the charts good i mean i I, it's the best offense we've seen in baseball in quite some time but i think there is a vulnerability with their pitching and somebody's going to get them i think it's possible that somebody can get them shorter series is more likely than a longer series but you have to pitch you have to out pitch them and you can but you have to your guys have to be good and you know, uh, you'd like to think that the Phillies guys could do it, but has anyone other than Wheeler of late made you think that they will? No. And so that's that's where I think that it's, it, you know, you sit there and say, if there's going to be a frustration, if there's going to be a disappointment, it's going to be the fact that the, the pitching staff was good, but not good enough. And that and that's where you, that's where you might get more frustrated with the Phillies than anything else. The lineup not notwithstanding obviously they got a hit you can't expect to beat the Braves two to one right because that's that offense is too good to shut down three games four games five games but so the offense has to do their part too but you almost want to sit there and say man if the pitching was just a little bit better we could have beaten that team and I think that that could be an area where the frustration could come in against Atlanta all right, so let's take a quick look ahead here. Uh, Phillies get three with the Washington Nationals. First two are in Washington, and then they head up to, uh, what, Williamsport, right, uh, on yeah. Sunday uh, for the, the third game. And, you know, listen, Phillies had Washington uh, at Citizens Bank Park uh, last week, and they won three out of four games. And, you know, I don't know that anyone's going into this series scared. But 
you know, it's kind of interesting. You look at the Washington Nationals last 34 games and they're 21 and 13. And at home in the last 17 games, they're 14 and three. Um, I don't know. I mean, listen, the Phillies are a minus 200 favorite tonight. They have Lorenzen on the mound. Who are they throwing? Uh, uh, who are, who's uh, Washington throwing? Is it? Uh, um, oh, it's a. Uh, 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 What's his last? Adu. What's, what's his last name? No. Um, However, you pronounce that. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. And yeah. It's driving me nuts that I can't remember his name. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a kind of a lopsided pitching matchup. If you really want to be honest about it, it's uh, Adon. Yeah, Adon. Um, yeah. So I mean, you look at them tonight. You feel like, hey, they should win this game. You probably look at all three matchups in this series and think they should win this game. Uh, I assume that, you know, going back to what you said in the beginning of the week, you would be happy with a three and two stretch over five games here, dating back to the Toronto series in this one. And I'm taking it. That's where you are right now as well. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you, you got to look at it and say, you just win the series, right? You can't, you know, this nationals team is their lineup is not as bad as people make it out to be, especially the top half of their lineup. Those guys get on base. They hit, they hit home runs, um, you know, and they, you know, they hit the Phillies a little bit too, other than Lorenzen. Um, but then, you know, you got Sanchez going Saturday against Cole Irvin. Um, Sanchez has been great for the Phillies, but his last couple of starts have been not as good. I mean, two starts ago was was worse than his last start, but, you know, he's had moments where he's looked a little bit shaky, um, and you're starting to wonder if that's starting to catch up to him. And then Sunday is Suarez against Williams. Phillies, you know, chased Williams pretty good when he faced him in Philly. So um, when you're up in Williamsport, you hope that you chase him pretty good up there too. Um, so yeah, I mean, I look at it and say that, you know, this is a, this is a two out of three. And if you get, you get all three awesome, but I think it's a, I think it's a two out of three and you know, the nationals hit, man, I think we went over this last time. They, they have what their third best batting average in baseball. Fifth um, right now, fifth right now. Or maybe it's a national league, third best in yeah. the national league. Yep. Third yeah. best national league. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're up there and like, they're, they're at least middle of the pack in most offensive categories. So I think when yeah. we look at them as a bottom feeder team. We look at it. Oh, they must be bad all the way around. Like they can get you, and they don't. And they, and they don't strike out. Times. Yeah, they don't strike out. So yeah, so yeah, that's just not. A, it's not as easy a matchup as as you would think going in. But well, to kind of go full circle here, we talked about it at the beginning of the show, putting together that stretch where you start to create some distance, and in theory, you should be able to do that here. Like, is it that much to ask that the Phillies? take care of the Nationals, come home and beat up on a Giants team that they they are better than. Like, I know that they kind of struggle with San Francisco. It feels like recently, last few seasons, the, the Giants have been an issue for the Phillies. But, like, come home, take care of business against that team. St. Louis is dreadful. They're a, a terrible baseball team. They're checked out. Beat up on them. I think they have the Angels down the line here at the end of the month. Like, the Angels suck. Like I'm sorry, you might get, a, you, might get a, you might get Otani pitching though because originally yeah, you he might wasn't. Get Otani. I'm not telling you you got to sweep these teams, but like win these series. Yeah. You know this yeah. is where you put together. I'm asking two out of three, two out of three, win these series, get to the end of August, have your six seven game lead build up going into that last month, and then maybe you can do with what they've been trying to do for the last four months, which is manage innings, protect players, give extra days off. And and you can do those things without feeling like you might be jeopardizing yourself a postseason spot. Like I agree. I mean, look, if you go, if you go eight and four to the end of the month, right. in these four series and you're winning two out of three in each one. And all of a sudden now you're 15 games over 500 going into September. Yeah. You're in that spot where you want to be, where you're comfortable. And it's like, just you know, don't just don't implode in September, and we're fine. 
And, yeah. and you're right. You can manage the innings. You can get everybody the rest that they need and, and be fresh for, for October. So yeah, that this is, this is a nice stretch of 12 games for them. And like you said, if they can go eight and four in these 12, that would be winning each of the series. Then I think that the Phillies are in a much in a, in a much better spot come September 1st than they were a year ago on September 1st. Well, I know you have a date with Russ Joy here coming up soon, so uh, you want to hit one last thing? I do want to hit one last thing, Bob. And, and, and yeah, this is uh, this was kind of an interesting thing. You know, ESPN put out a, a story about you know they do the you know they do it periodically um, the MLB Awards Watch for MVP and Cy Young, and I thought that this was an interesting thing. I want to kind of run by it. Um, obviously, I think that the only one that's kind of a foregone conclusion is AL MVP is going to be Otani at this point. But the races for NL MVP and both Cy Youngs are pretty wide open. Um, NL MVP, when I say it's pretty wide open, I think that there's three guys that any one of the three could get it. Um, and I think that I know who I would pick as the winner only because I think the other two guys are on the same team and may end up splitting some of the vote from their team. Um, so let's start there. Um, NL MVP right now, Acuna bets Freeman. Man, are they are they three really really good possibilities? And I think Acuna is still the guy, but it's hard to look past what Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman have done with that Dodgers team. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, odds makers have a little bit of a different overall take on this. If, Do if, they really? Oh yeah, like you go to DraftKings right now as we talk because I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, the three names I actually were, were thinking that you were going to go was going to be Acuna, Freeman, Olson. Like it's getting yeah. hard to overlook Olsen's power numbers here. Betts right. has been awesome too. Like there's no doubt about it, but check this out right now on DraftKings. You can bet Ronald Acuna jr. At minus seven fifty odds to win the NL MVP versus the field. Any other player you can wow. have whoever you want plus 500. And then you can break it up by player Acuna again, minus 750 Freddie Freeman plus 600 second best odds, Matt Olson, third best odds plus 1700 Mookie Betts plus 3,500. So if you think that Mookie Betts over the next six weeks can, can kind of bridge that gap, go throw a hundred bucks on Mookie. You're getting $3,500 back come reward season. Yeah. Or that's award a, season. Sorry. That's a good. That's a good number. I would. That's a. That's a really good number. Crazy, right? I actually am surprised. I mean, I know Acuna has the stolen base numbers to go along with the the, the power production, the offensive production. But man, like, that's like th- those odds are unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, just so you know, so far this month in August, Mookie bets four ten, four seventy one on base, seven oh five slugging in August. <laughs> that's. And it's you know the, the, the issue, though, I think the issue for these guys, like Freeman, all four of them, because they both play on the two best teams in the National League, and they're going to win their divisions running away. They're not going to get drama down the stretch, like right. so. It's not you know Ronald Cunha isn't going to have you know a ten game stretch in September where it's like he put the team on his back. They they don't need that, and I think that normally that might even hurt him like when you get into like the narrative part of it but the problem is is that the closest competitors are either his teammates or another team that that's going to experience the same thing like none of these guys are going to be able to capture that moment right yeah and I, yeah. I think you need if you're going up against somebody like Acuna here you're going to need those moments I think to let the storyline almost kind of catapult you to to winning that award 
they're not going to get that opportunity. It's going to be a pure numbers game. Speaking of, let's talk about a, a wild race. Who do you have for NL Cy Young? Because right now, according to ESPN's rankings, the top three are Zach Gallen, Logan Webb, <laughs> and believe it or not, Zach Wheeler. Yeah. Um, it's they also add in Blake Snell and Justin Steele, Spencer Strider are also close, but that's their that's their top six, really. Do but, any of those guys feel like a no. slam dunk Cy Young to you this year? I'll tell you, Zach Allen right now actually has the best odds. Like I don't know. I mean, he's had a really good year, but he kind of fell off a little bit. I kind of look at him and I go, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's had a really good year. Is he Cy Young? Maybe. Like Justin Steele, to me, has had the best year of all those guys. And I don't necessarily know if he's going to get the love for it, you know, because of who else is in the race with him. Is it possible that we have a Cy Young winner in Zach Wheeler this year in a year where it's not Zach Wheeler's best year by any stretch of the imagination? Yeah, I mean, he's going to have to be really good down the stretch. Like Every start is going to have to be awesome. He's going to have to be six-plus innings. Strikeouts to walks are going to have to be there. The run prevention is going to have to be pristine. Like, right now he's chasing, uh, in terms of the odds, Galen at 175, Snell at plus 300, Webb at plus 300, Strider at plus 600. Uh, Steals at 700, and then Wheeler checks in with Burns, both plus 2,000. So again, wow. if you think the door is open to Zach Wheeler winning a Cy Young, you're getting great odds there because there are five guys in front of him right now. And I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm with you on this one. Like, I think this is much more wide open than what the current odds would indicate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, two thousand to one on Zach Wheeler. Put that hundred hundred dollars down, guys. The Phillies play the weakest. They have the weakest schedule of any of these teams. Wheeler's going to get starts against bad teams, and he's done well. Give it a shot. Right, it's worth yeah. to yeah. me. That's worth a hundred dollar investment. I think. And then, and it's always kind of funny. Like you, you have to just not be paying attention to to take some of these guys. Like Marcus Stroman plus ten thousand. Like Marcus Stroman might not even pitch again this season. Yeah, like, I know. Uh, oh, here, here you go, Aaron Nola plus twenty thousand. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not going to happen. This the year, ultimate turnaround. Sure. So yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so we'll we'll see. It's interesting, interesting observation there by you on the yeah. on Cy Young for sure. Yeah, and, and real just, quick, real quick on the yeah. AL, I don't know what the you got the odds there. Yeah. They have it. Uh, Garrett Cole is the is the leader right now, but close. Sonny Gray, who we just saw, and he pitched a hell of a game against the Phillies. Um, and then Nate Ivaldi and George Kirby. Where the top four, Otani and Bautista, Valdez, they're all kind of like it's. It's so funny. I mean, ESPN and the oddsmakers have just not collaborated on their assessment here. So (laughs) Garrett Cole is minus three eighty. He's going to win the AL Cy Young Award. Like, and I I think everyone probably agrees with that. But if you're looking for the dark horse, you have Galsman at plus four fifty. You have Framber Valdez at plus nine fifty. Yeah, Castillo plus two thousand. Otani plus four thousand. There's no shot. George Kirby plus five thousand, Evaldi plus five thousand, and Sonny Gray plus ten thousand. That's pretty good. So you know you want to take a again a, a shot on a guy like Gray, uh, the way that he's been going lately. Uh, you're getting awesome value there, but I do yeah. think that Cole's going to win that. Yeah, one. I think I think I think I think you're right. I think no, but I think it's so. I think the NL races are really really interesting. I mean, obviously it's a three horse race for MVP. 
But Cy Young to me is a wide open field with any yeah. number of guys who can get it. And the Phillies have one of the guys that are going to be in that mix. So Absolutely. But, All right. Well, we will talk to you after this three-game series against the Washington Nationals on Monday morning. For Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. You can follow Anthony at Phil. You can follow me at Bob underscore Wankel. Make sure that you're checking out the show account at UpPhillies. Uh, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, anywhere else that you get your shows. Also check us out on YouTube, and we will talk to you soon.